foot enthusiasts, minimal footwear lovers, or anyone trying to fix your own feet, I'm heading to North Carolina this May to lead a live, in-person, three-day retreat all about feet. I'm going to be at the Art of Living Retreat Center, which is up in the mountains of North Carolina. It's so beautiful there. And are you ready to hear what I'm calling it? The retreat is called Healing Your Soul, a stepwise approach to building forever functional feet. That's so good, right? If you want to learn all about how to take care of the muscles, bones, joints, fascia, and nerves of the feet, and learn how strong feet and ankles relate to sustainable hips and knees, this event is for you. In addition to the classroom and movement time with me, you're on retreat. So there's delicious meals, a nature-rich campus that you can explore on foot, and plenty of time for rest and relaxation, all included. A retreat is a perfect way to care for yourself in the moment, but also in the future. You are coming to learn a massive toolkit of information. So whether you're a competitive runner, a dynamic ager, or a healthcare practitioner, this is a weekend full of movement for you and your feet. And like I said, you're gonna leave with a toolkit and a big swag bag that you can use to train your feet for life. For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. Hello, I'm Katie Bowman, and this is the Move Your DNA podcast. I'm a biomechanist and the author of Move Your DNA and seven other books on movement. On this show, we talk about how movement works on the cellular level, how to move more and to move more of you, and how movement works in the world, also known as movement ecology. All bodies are welcome here. Are you ready to get moving? September is here, which always feels like the true new year to me. The time of year to get out your trapper keeper and pencil bag. All the things I love about school, except the desk, of course. And speaking of new beginnings, we are about to start a new series over here on the Move Your DNA podcast. A new series focused on helping you take action easily. You know my goal is to get more people moving more and moving more of their parts. And lately I have found a new urgency in my mission and I've been reading a lot and thinking hard. And after a summer of hiking, exploring, foraging, harvesting, swimming, and deep diving, I feel renewed. And we talk a lot about ideas on this podcast and we probably always will. But over the next few months, I'm more interested in activating those ideas. So I'm going to be inviting in a variety of guests to join me and bring along their top three action items. And of course, I'll always provide a few of my own. So here's the thing. I've been thinking about how and where movement fits into life for a long time. And my guests in this series have been thinking about their work for a long time. And their work, whether they think of it this way or not, has a backbone of movement to it. So I want to connect the dots between solutions to, well, I guess to stack them, if you will. In a few moments, we're going to be joined by one of my favorite people, Sean Stevenson, to talk sleep. And when I was thinking about this show, I was thinking about like, what are all the things that all the peoples do? Sleep, poop, eat. And could I frame a series around 
these these areas that we that we all have in common to think about the way maybe they relate to the movements that we are or are not doing or the the way we've shaped our environment, if you will. So that's what you're going to find here is I'm going to try to pick out the themes that we're all working through together. But before I do that, after a summer off of answering Q&A, the Move Your DNA mailbag is full. So here's what I'm going to answer today. Dear Katie, I wanted to reach out for feedback on how to choose a home location that encourages a movement-rich lifestyle. Are there any resources in which you address this dilemma? Considering that the environment shapes how we move, this isn't a trivial decision, and we're looking for information that can help us decide between walkable towns with small lots and less forest access versus rural areas with big lots and forest access but that are car transport dependent. So thanks for any information you can provide. So I picked this question because I just got done teaching a two-day pregnancy and movement ecology course, and this was something that came up during the discussion there as well. So one of the things that I had to offer right away was the idea of a walkability rating. So a walkability rating, we've talked about it in a previous podcast. I think it's like how a city moves you and mobility justice. You can usually find a walkability rating if you're like buying homes. Many realtors will have walkability ratings. You can find cities' walkability scores. There's a website. I'm not can't remember what it is, but if you follow us on Instagram, there was a post that went up, I think September 6th, a book club post talking about our book for July, which was The Last Great Walk. And there was a discussion on walkability because, like you said, walkability can mean the classic sense in a city that you can walk to do your errands. But what we were discussing is, is walking just the steps that you're taking that you can get something done while you're doing it? Or is there a natural element where because if walking through nature over the varied terrain is also part of this nutrient walking if you can't get all of it how do you pick which you're getting which i think is really what your question is if we broke it down you're asking like how do i have walkability which i think is mostly going to be a term that relates back to how well can you get your chores done and then there's nature time. And of course, I find walking through nature time to be separate than just walkability and just nature time. So I think in the end, the way that you're going to make that decision, again, that decision, I don't think there's a right answer. I don't know if there's a tool that will help you pick. It's probably going to boil down to frequency. Like for us, we live in a, a highly walkable area, but the areas that I can walk on the most to do my chores you know, to get to schools, and it's not just our school, but to get to friends' schools, it's mostly going to be pavement. Like, we we have lots of, we live in a, a lovely rural area, but I don't think it's rural in the way that most people think about it, where there's no sidewalks that you have to drive for 20 minutes to get to a store. So I find us to be kind of like very close to a city. I, could, I can be in our city center on a paved road in a handful of minutes. If I'm on a bike, I can be downtown in 15 minutes. If I walk, maybe 30. But when we do our nature time, we are going to be in a car often to get to it. So the way that I've set it up is for me, it's more important for me since I'm like in what I would call regular daily life, like most of you are, where I'm on my computer, I'm grocery shopping, I'm 
post-officing, shipping, you know, I need to get to my office, my studio, that, that because I do that more regularly, being able to do that on foot means that we're going to see lots of on-foot movement through the nine to five, those classic bits of the day. But we're close enough to nature time Like I could go on a four or six hour hike, but the chances of me doing that kind of, again, that Monday through Friday work time are very slow. So I've opted for lots of in-city walking with nature time, weekends, days off, vacations. And when we can arrange it, you know, even weekdays or camping is still 20 to 45 minutes. Sometimes some of the backpacking we do is a couple hours away, but it's still there. But if you had the ability to just be out in nature for the bulk of the day, then you could go to that bigger space. But then again, people who live in those rural settings will send in emails just like this saying, I live in a completely rural area. I can't walk to do chores. And I feel like chores are going to be the more abundant element of most people's lives. If you have that small bit of nature outside your yard, I think that you can set it up to get that dose of what feels like more outdoor living just by making a small fire pit that you can sit and cook outside. Like I have found cooking outside during the nine to five regular workday, non-vacation, non-summer, non-holiday That element of our personal landscape, which is just in our backyard, which is just bricks in a square, we've, you know, put a grill on top of it. That is what makes me feel like I have a very nature-rich life. Like I can get out, I can cook outside, chop outside, and that doesn't require a forest nearby. Again, that can be done still, I think, within that city center. So, So I don't know how to steer you one way or the other. It's a personal decision, but that's how I think about it. I think about what am I doing most of the hours on a regular day? How can I make that more movement rich? And bonus, if those epic hikes, the days out of nature are still only an hour away, I think that that would would be great for me. So hopefully that answers your question. That was the first time I've gotten a where to move question versus a how to move question, but... I get it. They're all related. And if there are any of you out there who have a movement-related question on your mind, you can send it to me at podcast at nutritiousmovement.com and then stay tuned. Maybe I will answer your question in an upcoming episode. So this podcast is still brought to you by the Dynamic Collective, I'm very happy to say. The Dynamic Collective is made up of My Mayu, Soft Star Shoes, Unshoes, Earth Runners and Venn Design. And these are all small companies whose values are aligned with my own. I use their products. I believe in them. And I'm glad to have their support for this podcast. And later on, we'll learn more about Soft Star Shoes. And I will be sure to ask where they find the elves who make their shoes and probably some other questions too. But I am excited to kick off this Move Your DNA in Action series. And you can tell it's a series about taking action because I just said kicking it off, not just getting it started. So you see, we're moving more already. I am starting this series with a conversation and some action items about a part of life that might not immediately come to mind when you think active, and that is sleep. My guest today is Sean Stevenson, the author of the international best-selling book Sleep Smarter and creator of 
The Model Health Show, which is featured as the number one health podcast on iTunes with millions of listener downloads each year. A graduate of the University of Missouri, St. Louis, Sean studied business, biology, and kinesiology, all subjects I love, and went on to be the founder of Advanced Integrative Health Alliance, a company that provides wellness services for individuals and organizations across the globe. And he is also one of my most favorite people in the podcast slash health and wellness realm. And I've been on his show multiple times, but today he's my guest today on Move Your DNA. Sean, thank you for coming on. It's my pleasure. So happy. The tables have you know, turned, as you've said. The tables have turned. <laughs> yes, you are definitely one of my all-time favorite guests. We've done, you know, 300 episodes, and I've only had like three or four people on multiple times, and you're one of those special few. Yeah, I really enjoy talking with you. You're just, you're nice, and you're whip smart, <laughs> and you just, I don't know, you're the full package. I like that. Yeah, an honor to know you. You know a lot of things in the wellness realm, nutrition, exercise, but we're going to talk about sleep today because you wrote a book on sleep. So what I'm most curious about is why out of all the stuff you know, did you choose to write a book on sleep? That's a great question. And it's so great because I could talk to you about these things and you know a little bit more than the average person because my agent was trying to nudge. Well, the agent I actually ended up firing trying to nudge me away from it, you know, mm. and just like, you know, you really need to do a book on nutrition. I'm a nutritionist, you know? Yeah. And he's like, you know, we can crush it and this and that. I'm like, but this message is what's most important right now in this human timeline yeah. is a book that's really focused on sleep wellness because there are many books that touch on the subject, you know, make sure you get your eight hours or whatever, but it wasn't like a master class mm -hmm. on it. Mm -hmm. And something that was very practical. I'm very much about how can we actually apply this to our lives? I'm a big student of, you know, I like to know a lot of stuff for sure. Yeah. But what matter does it make if people can't use it? And so for me, the catalyst was in my clinical practice, having folks coming in back to back day after day. And we saw some great results in many things, you know, folks coming in struggling with weight loss for years or, you know, uh, issues with their blood pressure. We had somewhere around a 79, 80%, 80% reversal rate for folks with type 2 diabetes you know, getting them off their, you know, metformin and insulin and all that stuff. And many times, just within a matter of weeks, we could do that. So it, it was in essence kind of like we could do it in our sleep, ironically. Yeah. But that other percent of people, you know, 20 to 25 percent of people would really bother me because it's just like, are they lying to me? Why are they not doing the program? Whatever. But it wasn't it didn't have to do with nutrition because oftentimes they were eating a relatively good diet. We get them on cater to them. And it wasn't about exercise. A lot of folks were actually exercising sometimes too much. Mm -hmm. It took me about five years in practice before I started asking people about their sleep. And I just literally just could smack myself because it just wasn't on my radar. I was sleeping good, so I didn't think about it. But years prior, sleep was my biggest struggle personally. You know, when I was dealing with my own health issues and I was taking medications to sleep and all this stuff. But once I got my sleep in order, like I just totally forgot about it. And so to put a bow on the story and how this be, you know, came to be a book, once I started listening to people and hearing their stories, and you know this, people don't like to change that much, right? <laughs> they they want to get a result, but so I had to find things that people can do to improve their sleep quality without turning their lives upside down. Yeah. You know, people would come in and they're telling me, you know, I've, I, I, 
sleep, you know, three or four hours a night or, you know, I do shift work, whatever it is. And I went into the research and I was blown away at the things I was finding out. And I was just shocked that people didn't know this, like this wasn't front page news, you know, that the timing of day, the, the time of day that you exercise can improve your sleep quality and, you know, relationship between, you know, what's going on with our tech devices and all this stuff. So I started putting these things into, into people's lives and the results were crazy. Finally, the weight would come off. Finally, their blood sugar would normalize. Finally, their blood pressure would get back in check and on and on and on. And ultimately, I wrote it as a blog post and then I turned it into a podcast, a couple of podcast episodes, and they end up being like in my top 10. Hmm. And then I turned it into a book, self-published initially. We sold like it was getting close to 15,000 copies very quickly. And then all of a sudden, these publishers were like fighting, literally got into a bidding war to get the book. And so it became an international bestseller. It's still, you know, one of the top 10 health books on Audible. Uh, it's in like 20 different countries now. It's just absolutely crazy, but it's a message that really needs to be heard right now. Well, I have a little bookshelf in my house and a lot of people are always flowing through and a lot of my health books disappear. You know, it's like, a, I call it a loose lending library, but your book is consistently missing. My mom has hijacked it and friends have hijacked it. And it's really, it's an easy read. And I love books, as you know, I, I like to read them. I like to write them, but I was in a bookstore over the weekend in Orange County in the Barnes and Noble in the health section and your book was there and it was the only book on sleep. And it's so interesting if we think of a bookstore as kind of um, showing what's important to a culture, the health, right. the health section is very small. And then of the health section itself, it's mostly diet and exercise. Diet is the biggest one. Exercise right. or movement is teeny tiny. And then there was one book on sleep. And when I originally was thinking about this, series that I was going to do is like, I want to focus on the, like everybody poops type right. perspective, which is like, what are the things that all humans do? Because right. there are like, there are some just defining things and sleep is one of them. So we're starting with sleep. And of course, maybe not everyone sleeps the same amount, but everyone needs to sleep. And like, our it's part of our kind of the human condition. And, you know, you were talking about the perspective of weight loss and which is a lot of people would probably not tie their right. sleep to their diet. But um, earlier this summer, I was reading a book by Dr. Hanscom called Back in Control, and he's a spinal surgeon. And the book is um, the subtitle is A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain. And I was trying to find the exact quote, but it, it too is in my lending library and is, you know, probably next to your book on one of my friend's shelves. There was a quote that said, I would not recommend that anyone get spinal surgery for pain until they've dealt with sleep. And I was just like, that's huge. It's right. huge to say that the musculoskeletal disorder that you're perceiving could in fact be heightened or even created by how you feel when you've had, you know, years or decades worth of poor rest and replenishment. And you have kids, young kids, I have young kids, and it's so easy to recognize in them meltdowns, the way they perceive what's going on when they're not rested. And it's so hard to see in ourselves. Right. And wh why do you think that is? Uh, it's so fascinating. And like you said, just seeing my book being like the only book there uh, on this subject, it just <laughs> speaks to 
the reality is this, is sleep is not really a sexy topic, you know? And when we're thinking about transforming our bodies or improving our health, it's it's very unique because we have this attitude as a culture that if I'm going to get something, I have to do something. And so that also shies a lot of people away from taking action to change their diet or to change their movement practices because I have to do something. So the concept that you can get something for nothing, in in essence, is very difficult for us to wrap our minds around. And we get so much benefit metabolically, uh, even when you talked a little bit earlier about healing from conditions, it's utterly fascinating. And so I think that that's really the issue is that in our culture where we believe that we have to do something in order to get something and sleep is free. Yeah. And, you, have to, and, you have to monetize sleep. That's what we have to do is like, you have to pay per hour of sleep you get, then it would have more value. Exactly. Exactly. If you had to pay for this sleep, then you would do it, you know? And I, that's, that's really what it is. I think mm. at the core of our culture, it's not a sexy topic because yeah. it's not flashy. Like you just lay your butt down and you know <laughs> you go into these different stages, you know, and that it's also something that's not very marketable. You know, there's not going to be the next flashy sleep diet or the next flashy sleep workout. It's just, it's just sleep. But I think that that was my gift in that is like creating it in such a way that it did become attractive. Yeah. That it became so many aha moments and just like, of course this makes sense. Of course I want to do that. Right. And making it, making it sexy in a way, you know, making sleep something that is very attractive for us. Okay. So you talked about action items. What are your three things our listeners can take action on now or in the near future to improve the sleeping part of their life? Great question. I'm going to have to caveat this. You know, there's 21 clinically proven strategies in my book. So it's difficult to pick three since especially tying into what you do and just us associating in a more intelligent way with nature. I'm going to Utilize this one first and just this is going to be so capped and obvious for people, but most people are not doing this or doing this proactively or consciously. And so that would be getting access to sunlight. Hmm. So I say this repeatedly that a great night of sleep starts the moment that you wake up in the morning. And this is because getting access to sunlight. So first of all, one of the interesting things that happens when we get exposure to sunlight is our body increases its production of serotonin. And so this is like the opening act. It's like a catalyst because it's a building block for melatonin, which we associate it with sleep. And so increasing your production of serotonin sets the stage. And also, and this was really interesting, again, there's so much data out there, but a lot of folks just don't, are not not aware of this. In the journal Innovations in Clinical Neuroscience, they found that there's a special bonus when you get access to sunlight. And that they found that folks had what we call now clinically a cortisol reset, where their cortisol levels do increase when you are exposed to sunlight, which is a natural response. But they found that test subjects who got an adequate amount of sun exposure in the morning had significantly decreased cortisol later in the day. So Mm -hmm. in the evening, clinically, we call people tired and wired, where their cortisol would be too high in the evening and too low in the morning, making it difficult to get out of bed. This, in essence, helps to reset that rhythm because your body, whether we understand this or not, we are heavily connected to nature. And so when the lights go down on the planet, it's supposed to be the same way for us. But we can insulate ourselves. You know, humans, we can hide out from nature. We'll try to. And so it's always constantly looking to find its rhythm. And so getting access to sunlight in the morning will, in fact, help. And here's why. Let me give this really quick nugget. 
Cortisol and melatonin have a little bit of an inverse relationship. So if your cortisol is too high in the evening, you're not going to be producing melatonin adequately and vice versa. If we can get melatonin high, cortisol is going to tend to be low. And this, this is why that exposure to sunlight is such a great thing for us to strive to do. Now, with that said, how do we do it? What's the best amount? Researchers say specifically sunlight between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. is ideal. All right. There's something about that rising sun that helps to set that rhythm. Hmm. If it, that doesn't work for you, though, it doesn't mean, you know, don't go outside and get sunlight. I miss my window. I miss my 8 to 10 window. So that's it. <laughs> and that's another thing, too specifically windows, like literal windows, mm -hmm. even just having natural light coming into the room can help to set this circadian timing system. Ideally, you want to get natural sunlight on your skin directly, not through windows, by the way. That's not necessarily healthy because mm -hmm. of UVA and UVB. Uh, the UVB, what helps us to produce vitamin D, it's it's sort of blocked yeah. by, by windows, which yeah. is kind of weird. So don't just sit up there and get cooked by sunlight coming through the window. So if you are in a situation where, you know, with changes of seasons, that kind of thing, and it's difficult to get outside, still, come on, just get outside, get a little bit of sunlight if you can, at all possible. And also there are little hacks that you can do. You know, there are light boxes that folks can get, these visors and uh, various things that have some clinical data showing that they help to reverse things like seasonal affective disorder. But you can use those to your advantage. But the very best thing is at least getting sunlight coming in through windows. We sleep without any window coverings because I, I rise with the sun just naturally, but I have posted pictures of it on Instagram and people have said, well, where I live, there's so much night lighting around that at nighttime, if they have the windows uncovered, it's like full blazing light. So a light box, I wonder if you could timer a light box, you know what I mean? To like kind of start coming on in the morning. So you'll, everyone will have to be creative about their own situations. Okay, that, that was one, right? That's right, that's right. Okay, let's do. You know, I think that this would be a good pivot is the other end of that spectrum, like you said, having the windows open, but a lot of folks dealing with what we're calling light pollution now, mm -hmm. you know, with uh, street lights and folks' cars coming up and down the street or your neighbor's porch light or whatever the case might be. What we wanna do ideally to improve our sleep quality and not have to turn our world upside down is just improve the quality of sleep that you are getting now. Not necessarily sleeping more, but sleeping better. Okay. And so to do that, for us to produce adequate melatonin, we have to have two conditions, Matt. Number one, we need a dark cycle. We need to be in darkness. If light exposure causes us to produce cortisol, artificial light specifically, not moonlight, starlight, that kind of thing, the lux or the luminance of those, humans have evolved with that. It's very, very small compared to even a weak light bulb, all right? So keep that in mind. So we're not talking about blocking out natural light. So if you can, like for me, I'm looking out in my backyard, there's no light. I mean, there's a forest back here and we a lot of times have our curtains open, you know? And so that's not an issue. If you do live in a setting right now where you are dealing with this artificial light coming into your room, get some blackout curtains, mm. all right? A lot of folks, you know, they experience better sleep ironically when they travel because they might go to a hotel and they got these blackout curtains. And so for me, that was the number one thing that mm. improved my sleep quality was when I got some blackout curtains when I lived in a more kind of suburban uh, area. And man, it was like a coma. I hadn't slept like that in a very long time in my own house. Yeah. And so that's that's pretty simple. Get your room, create a sleep sanctuary, you know, get it nice and dark and cool 
as well. And I guess that can be a pivot to number three, if that's cool. Do it. All right. So number three is the human body goes through this process. Uh, it's called thermoregulation. And so it's always, I was taught in school that the human body should be 98.6 degrees. It's just totally ridiculous, all right? Because your temperature changes and modulates throughout the day based on what you're doing, the time of day. This is It's always in flux. You know, if you're working out, your body temperature is gonna go up and that's okay. Now, with that said, there's a natural drop in your core body temperature at night to help facilitate sleep. And from what I've discovered is that it's really correlated with as your core body temperature goes down, you know, you get those signals from your environment to turn down the lights, get a little bit darker, is to release certain reparative enzymes and, and uh, sleep-related hormones, anabolic hormones, that coincide with that drop in your core temperature. So check this out. Let me see if I can actually pull it up and tell you exactly what it is. All right, this is really cool. So there was a study that was done and this was on insomniac. So this was actual people with clinical sleep problems, like they're having very, very difficult time sleeping. And so what they did was they fitted these test subjects with cooling caps. And so what it did was run circulating cool water around their head. And this was just a one degree change, okay? And so here's what happened. They have these insomniacs and they have folks, the, the, the um, control group, who don't, have, who don't have insomnia. And so here's what happened when they wore the cooling caps, these insomniacs. They fell asleep faster than people without sleep disorders. Is by cooling their temperature by one degree. And it took, so that was 13 minutes to fall asleep compared to 16 minutes on average for the quote healthy group. And also the patients that were diagnosed with insomnia ended up sleeping for 89% of the time, which is literally the same as folks who don't have insomnia. This was effective for 75% of the people and the rate that that's effective versus taking freaking Ambien or whatever, it's out of this world by simply cooling the person off. And so that's what I want people to do. Create a sleep sanctuary. Make sure that it's relatively dark. Don't worry about natural light from outside. That's fine. But internal artificial light and external artificial light. And if you can, you know, if it's kind of a, you know, you can open the window if there's cool air that can come in or if you have a thermostat, whatever, if you can drop the temperature down, we know how it feels to try to sleep when we're hot. It sucks. Right? It's kind of yeah. gross. You know, it just doesn't feel good. And so if you can get it a little bit cooler, the experts say somewhere between 62 and 68 degrees is ideal. And people, it's going to depend on the person. You know, some people, people are going to get freaked out by that. And we were just talking before the show about Kelly Starrett. And he mentioned you, by the way, when we talked last. And... He's the one who told me about the chili pad. So he said that this was revolutionary for him because mm. he's a hot running fella, yeah. right? And his wife, not, not so much. Like they would probably get into it because him wanting to have it cooler. So the chili pad was something he could lay on his side of the bed and cool him off. And he's like, it, tr it just transformed his life. And so, you know, you got to find those things that work for you and work for your, if you have a significant other, you know, so for my wife, she's from Kenya. She doesn't really mess around with the cold. Right. But we we tested it and she did find that she, in fact, slept better when it was cooler for her, though. It was the getting out of bed in the morning part. Right. Because, you know, it's a, so what I do is I get up first and I go and turn the thermostat up. Simple fix. Nice compromise. There you go. So there's three strategies, simple things, getting it cool and dark 
and also making sure we're getting adequate sun exposure in the morning. That's so interesting because I think that when people are trying to solve problems, pain problems, health problems, sleep problems, that the underlying assumption that there's a problem with you rather than these are all environmental things, right? Like everything that you just suggested was about not the person, but just altering the environment so that you could have the natural response of just sleeping better. Yeah, it's fascinating. So fascinating. It's just like, you know, it's just different. Like, you know, we get a lot of like, what's wrong with me? Oh, I'm so, so like, I'm not working. I need to fix it. And when you take medication and a lot of times for sleep, it's like, I haven't, you haven't changed anything about the environment, but you're trying to change something about yourself. And sometimes it's just blacking out the windows and then throwing them open, you know, with the rising sun and maybe popping mm -hmm. outside for a little bit. Okay. That's Amazing. And so I'm trying to match three tips for the sleep experts, sleep tips, or the whatever expert I have on. I don't know that much about sleep, except I like it when I can get it. Um, but my, my action items are usually more movement related. And so I'm going to just dump three of them out. And then Sean, you can give me your opinions on these as well. Okay. So people have asked a lot of times about so they're different than the people coming to you for like, I can't sleep. These are necessarily about not sleeping full stop, but they're about noticing the way that they feel in their body after they sleep. For example, waking up with a stiff back or stiff neck. So one of the things that I have talked about a lot and have written about is really maybe checking your pillow height, because remember, it's like re single repetitive positioning all night long. And so we all culturally just have something propping our head forward to the rest of our body. And mm. that I recommend that over time, you just take a pillow and then the easiest way is to remove stuffing out of it, but you're, or you just swap it with things smaller and smaller over time, maybe ramp up a couple of, you know, shoulder and neck stretches. And then over time, you'll notice that you wake up more mobile because you're not fixing your body in one, you know, basically it's like a forward head position a lot of times. And that's what people notice. So that's one of my recommendations for people who wake up with stiff necks is to do it again over time. For me, it was 18 months. So that's what I mean by over time, not like over a week, not over a month, but over a year and a half. The other thing is, you know, you're, we were talking about monetizing sleep. There's actually a huge industry around sleep and that's with mattresses, right? What kind of right. mattresses? It is a soft mattress or a firm mattress. You can see the range of experts recommend opposing things all across the board. But in the end, when I teach movement, I teach natural movement. One of the movements that I think we're missing naturally are pressure related movements. So that's, you know, if you you do a, you know, you go up onto a bar with your arm, you climb a tree with your arm, that bar kind of smushes, you know, your arm about the place. Those are pressure deformation motion. So when you lie on the floor every night, or if you lie on the floor right now, you'll find that it's usually uncomfortable when you get started. But if you've ever taken like a yoga class or a stretching class, by the time you get to that shavasana stable position, it's much more comfortable because you've kind of mobilize all of your parts. And so I do recommend for those people who are stiff when they get out of bed is one, you can shift to a more supportive bed or eventually transition to something like a futon or I, we sleep on the ground here, which is kind of similar to camping. If you lie on the floor though, if you don't want to give up your mattress and, but you take 15 minutes to kind of prep your body for rolling out, it might be easier to fall asleep that way if you've kind of mm -hmm. 
basically done a little self-massage, right? There's a difference between a massage therapist and lying on the floor, but ultimately it's still pressure application. So if you just got out and stretched on the floor, put your arms over your head, roll on one side and the other side, it's almost like you're tenderizing your body for sleep so that you don't have to get into bed for the first 30 minutes. And then you can't really do that in a soft, mushy bed. And then you start fretting that you're not going to fall asleep. And then you start getting into the mental space of like, why can't I sleep? Which, which for me keeps me awake. And then finally, I have a timer on my Wi-Fi, uh, just a Radio Shack 899 timer, which clicks it off. And I do that not for the electromagnetic environment. It's actually to boot us off our computers if we're still on too late. It kind of like removes the option. Mm. It, it's like a nice external personal trainer. It's like Sean in your house going, shouldn't you be in bed by now? It's too late. <laughs> and, and we said it earlier in the winter, you know, we, and we've decided ahead of time, like we'd like it to be off by 8.30 or 9. And then we just find that we're so lazy that we don't need to override it and go turn it back on that just that little reminder of we chose to turn it off by 9 boots us off and gets us into bed earlier. So those are some of my strategies. Oh my goodness. I love those. And I have that timer too, because of you and I'm doing it more so for that, you know, kind of electric sure. weird net. And we we still don't really understand Correct. all the stuff going on with it, but I'm just, you know, might as well, if I'm going to be asleep anyway. Why not? And so also I do have it in my mind, like for ours, it's, I think it's set at like 1030. Mm-hmm. So for us, it's just like, even if I'm up, if we happen to be hanging out, if we're watching a movie, you know, just doing something random, because I tend to, you know, be off my tech a little bit earlier. It just still lets me know, like, bro, you want to feel good tomorrow. So, right. you know, you got to, you're going to open this up at 1030 anyways. And so I love that. And also, uh, just talking about the culture with mattresses is very, very interesting. And I haven't really shared this, but the biggest mattress company in the world reached out to me. Uh, when Sleep Smarter first came out and they were wanting to endorse the book and it's got, you know, tens of thousands of copies they were wanting to give for their training for employees and all this stuff. And it's just like, I don't think you guys actually read this chapter. You know? <laughs> I kind of went in about the whole mattress industry, you know, because this is one of the, it's so interesting to see the the high incidence of things like sudden infant death syndrome and all these different things because these off-gassing mattresses and the transmission of very, you know, various chemicals and things like that. What, and I don't want to get into any kind of, you know, whole rant on that, but I put some of the data in the book and I had to put it in in good consciousness once I found out about it. Yeah. And the mattress resiliency and just people on average, we don't think about getting a new mattress unless there's a problem for a lot of folks. And, you know, that mattress wearing down in very specific areas, specifically your hips, that's probably leading to a lot of back problems for people. It's probably the biggest cause in my opinion is our mattresses. And just how we're spending out, like we're spending so many hours in this state. And like you said, not getting those correct pressure inputs. And so one of the things that I do encourage people to do that have a hard time, we're very good at going from zero to 100. You know, we're very good at that. But going from 100 to zero and relaxing, that can be very difficult today. And so Mm -hmm. having a movement practice at the end of the day to hit some of those pressure points. And so we talk about Uh, Kelly and I talked about the ball smashing Mm -hmm. where you take the ball, you know, princess ball and kind of work around in your, in your gut region. And, um, that's one thing because you got the vagus nerve and all that stuff there, but laying on the floor, like you mentioned outside of the disc 
discomfort that some folks might experience, it's just like you kind of start to relax just immediately when you start laying down on the floor, you know, and it's hitting those points. So I love that tip, which I never thought about because I actually tend to do it is I like kind of go lay on the floor in my living room before I go to bed, which I do have a mattress. And it just feels good. Like it's yeah. kind of a natural transition. So I, I love those. That is like all the the fascia work and the ball rolling. Getting on the floor is like the lowest level of that. Like because there's not a lot of there's yeah. no, nothing being pushed into any of your body crevasses. So if you lie on the floor and then roll over, lie on your stomach, get on your fetal position on the right, roll over to your fetal position on the left, roll back and forth on your spine, up and back a few times, roll on your stomach till you're totally prone arms spread out like you're doing a reverse snow angel and you're back to a snow angel that way and consider that your kind of you know like i said just body tenderizing routine see see how that works with everybody's sleep but sean i want to thank you so much for helping me kick off this season of move your dna you can find out more about sean at themodelhealthshow.com and you can find his book sleep smarter anywhere books are sold i can vouch it is in orange county tustin I saw it there last week. Awesome. Thank you, Sean, so much for coming on. Totally my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So Sean's mission is to help you improve your sleep, and mine is to help you move more and move more of your parts. I am endlessly inspired by people who are on a mission, and that includes the companies that make up our dynamic collective. And we love to have their support, but I wanted to go a little bit beyond sponsorship for our podcast, and I want to give everyone listening a sense of what it can be like to turn a mission into a final product. Like I write books, but our dynamic collective companies, they make stuff and I am not a maker with my hands. So makers blow my mind and I'm curious about how and why they do it. And you might be too. So wonder no more. Trisha Salcido owns Soft Star Shoes, and I would like to welcome you to Move Your DNA. Thanks, Katie. I'm happy to be here. So how did how did you go in? How did Softstar get started? Slash, how did you come to make shoes? <laughs> well, Softstar actually started predates me. It started in 85 with Tim Oliver, who was a high school shop teacher and realizing as a young teacher, he just really didn't like teaching. Um, and started looking for crafts that he could make for his family. Um, his wife was working at a farmer's market with a woman who was making little baby moccasins, and they were completely charmed and decided to make a go of it and start Soft Star Shoes making baby shoes. Uh, I came to the picture in 2005, uh, also looking to kind of have my own thing, uh, my own business, I knew I wanted to have a business where we did manufacturing and, and or product making and making things because I love the satisfaction that comes from making product. Uh, I have a background in engineering and consulting and really service industry is more what my skills are suited for. But I, I just felt this tug in my heart to want to make something. It makes me feel good at the end of the day when you have something you can hold and is tangible. Uh, I stumbled upon Soft Star bit by accident. I had a, uh, a one-year-old daughter and was uh, walking through town and saw a little barn and kind of poked my head inside and there were elves in there making baby <laughs> shoes. <laughs> and it was interesting because at that point I was already starting the journey of looking at different businesses. Um, and I walked into that workshop and I just had this instant 
love and deep down knowledge that this was it. This is really um, clicking and it was a beautiful product. It was a healthy product. It's something I wanted for my child the second I saw it. And when you had it in your hands, then, you know, then you were lost because they're just, it's this beautiful product. So um, that's how I personally came to Soft Start. But a lot of the elves who work here are uh, what I would call classic makers and the, 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 the people who are actually sewing and cutting and stamping the shoes out every day tend to be people who um, take a deep satisfaction in using their hands. Um, they, it's a very different person from what we hire, for example, for someone to be on the phone and helping customers who are emailing in questions about sizing or fit. That is a very different type of person. There's just a deep joy and satisfaction that makers have when they're using their hands and pride in their craft. That's really important. I love that. There's an, I think she's a neuroscientist that I've been trying to get on the show, and she has a book about handwork and as, as an alleviator of certain brain states, I think one of them being depression, where handwork seems to be something that many people, if not all of us, require. So I'll, I'll see if I can get her on the show sometimes because I, I, I'm not a hand... I haven't been a hand worker, but I've had a chance to come to your shop and work on my own pair of shoes through a very lovely opportunity. And I have found it, like you said, deeply satisfying considering what the makers are doing. What are some of the challenges of making shoes in the way that you do specifically? Well, certainly the biggest challenge that we face is just because we we use our hands so much on small shoes uh, is ergonomic issues. So mm-hmm. staying, staying healthy in terms of your, your bones and your movement. So we do a lot of rotating throughout the day and cross training so that everyone can oh. move a lot during the day and not do the same task over and over. Um, so that's probably our biggest challenge from making the shoes. And the, and the, the other is of course, when you have to make, say, a hundred shoes in a day, how do you keep a firm grasp on owning that pride of ownership of that is different when you're at home and you're making one perfect, perfect pair that you might have thought about for three weeks, right? And yeah. today you're coming in and you're making a hundred beautiful pairs, but how do you keep that pride? And that means slowing things down so that we we don't have any concerns about the quality of what we're making. And and whenever anyone starts to worry about that, then we know we, we need to slow down yeah. and just breathe. <laughs> right. And that's hard to do. Like in, right now it's back to school season. Everyone, it's like the weather starts to get cool and it's something snaps in everyone's head and says, we need shoes. <laughs> so it's, you know, a lot of requests for our shoes yesterday. And I guess that's another big struggle we have is that many of our customers, when they come to us for the first time, they really don't have a connection with the fact that we're actually making it for them. Right. Um, and so they order their shoes and they really do expect it to be in their mailbox tomorrow or the next day. Um, and then they call, you know, as much as we try and have that up front and try and connect them with the experience that, no, we're actually making this for you. It's going to take a few days. Um, 
that that is a constant struggle from I'd say from a, a communication perspective and yeah. a relationship perspective. And once once our customers do understand that, it's a more enriching opportunity for them as well to learn more about the products that they're buying and feel more connected to what they're using and wearing. Because uh, shoes are awesome. I mean, our feet are such amazing bones and muscles and um, do so much work for us each day. And, and we take them for granted um, a lot, unfortunately. But when, you know, you're partnering with your, your, your foot, so to say, with a shoe that really meets its needs. And then on top of it, you have this appreciation of the thought and the quality and care that went into helping you make that healthy decision. It, it just feels great from the end user perspective too. You know, there's this term of slow fashion, and I would say that you definitely fit into that in, in being handmade and, you know, taking time because, you know, there's just people sitting there and you're obviously setting up a workspace that allows them to tend to their own needs at the same time. But it's almost like, like there needs to be a continuum of slow fashion. Like what, it, what is slow fashion that is not only about buying clothes or clothing that meets better the needs of the people making it, but clothing that meets your needs better for the person wearing it. I've been searching for that term and it's kind of like what's what I consider dynamic clothes. It's like pairing the slow movement with clothes that don't disrupt your movement in the way that traditional shoes do. So you think on that term and I'll think on that term and maybe we'll come up with something. <laughs> do you have a mission statement? Does Softstar have a mission statement? We do. <laughs> but now you've put me on the spot and uh, I'm, I'm never, I've never been a good like joke teller or someone who could just retrieve things quickly. But um, our mission statement definitely is around three things. One is health. And, and having health from, you know, both a physical perspective, but then also from a spiritual perspective internally here in the workshop, uh, having joy and finding love in what we're doing is important. So our families are welcome here in the workspace. We put a lot of effort into trying to make it a beautiful space for people to feel good and, and keep it fun. And then the third part of our value statement is around sustainability in the environment. So obviously that's important in the materials we choose, that they are as low chemical as used as possible, that the companies we source from um, are from countries that have good labor relations with their, with their workers, because um, tanning leather can be, uh, can be done well and it can be done really nasty. So, um, we have a big commitment to sourcing really only the highest quality leathers and, and soling that we can. Um, and around that, too, I, th I don't think a lot of people realize how much our skin absorbs chemicals, and particularly your feet or your hands uh, can absorb whatever is in the material that's surrounding them. And so that's an important part to us. But just even from how we do our processes and conserve lights and conserve water, that's an important part of our culture yeah. here is trying to walk lightly in what we do and what we make. When I went there, even your parking lot is, is the new porous asphalt or gravel to allow the soil that you're built upon to get what it needs versus, you know, more, you know, I was just like, wow, like I, I just, I really appreciate your space, your product working with you. So what would you most want people to know about Softstar if there was one thing? 
Oh, that it that is great to have a space where we can make beautiful things that also marries with health. It's just been a very, it's a satisfying place to come and visit and and learn more and hang out and and work out and when we really do love what we do and we love we love helping people feel feel better feel stronger. I ordered a pair of shoes like I do from you a while back and I got a note from one of your elves a personal note that said that my work I'm not sure exactly what it was was why they were an elf now and that now they get to help make my shoes and they thought that that was an amazing way to come around the circle and I just thought <laughs> wow I've never, I mean, I'm used to now notes from elves when I order shoes from you, but to have a personalized note from an elf who knew me, I just thought that that was pretty great. And I feel like that sums up the culture of your company. It's very circular. It's it's that ecology. It just has that really round, huggy feeling to me. So thank you for all that you do. Trisha Salcedo owns Soft Star Shoes, and you can find out more about them at softstarshoes.com. Thanks for coming on, Trisha. Thanks, Katie. Okay, that is it for Move Your DNA this time. More action items coming your way this fall. If you want to revisit the ones from this episode, you should know that we provide a transcript of each of our podcast episodes. So if there's something you missed in one of our podcasts, or if you want to refer back to our action items list, you can find them at nutritiousmovement.com. Click on podcast transcripts. On behalf of everyone at Move Your DNA and Nutritious Movement, thank you for listening. We appreciate your support. Until next time, move it or lose it. has been Move Your DNA with Katie Bowman, a podcast about movement. Hopefully you find the general information in this podcast informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and should not be used as such.